my friends, the great experiment. Have you begun? Hit it. Drink, drink. Would you look at that? The greatest drink, drink. Did you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star train. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. <laughs> Why are we doing that? <laughs> yeah, too much grease on that introduction. <laughs> I try to make him a little bit different every time. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of predicting it to come back at me at some point where, like, when this is all said and done, yeah, when we finally laid down our microphones... There will be a super cut of all of the intros butted up against each other. But in 2054, are people really going to be into supercuts the way they are in 2023? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what people will be into at that point? Yeah. Hopefully still us. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> you have so little faith in in us, <laughs> in this great thing that we do. I I have faith in it. I just... Sometimes the unknown of it gets to me and I'm like, nobody has ever had a long podcasting career because podcasting is not that old. So You know what's unknown, dude? Being a contract film and video producer. You want to know what's unknown? Like working <laughs> in a fucking cubicle for a boss that you don't know how they feel about you. Like, yeah. I think as far as knowns and unknowns go, this is a uh, solid as Sears. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that the, the known knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns can haunt me. You go to pod with the co-host that you have. Right, yeah. I can tie this into the episode and into the series, Ben. I am feeling Whoa. very- wait a second. Are you trying to pivot us into the actual show? We've only been marining for like two and a half minutes. No, this, this still remains in the marin. Okay, good, because I was worried that I wasn't fully marinated. <laughs> I am as confident as ever- in, in Greatest Trek and Greatest Generation as a project. Yeah. And in the three slash four of us who are employees of Oxford <laughs> Shimoda. It's really like, it's three slash six of us. <laughs> like, we've added a lot of like, uh, oh yeah, you're sort of a contractor here now. Like, Oh yeah, I like that. We've got like people that work on the store every month. We've got people working on edits all the time. It feels good to pay people for their work, and I love to do it, and I mm -hmm. prefer to do it. I love paying rent when the rent's due. Yeah. I'm bullish on all of those things. Mm -hmm. This episode coming up that we're about to discuss yeah. was the first moment that my belief in Picard Season 3 has begun to waver. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and we'll get into it when we discuss it, but I just had a whole bunch of thoughts about one particular scene. Okay. A moment of truth. I think I know what scene you're talking about, but uh -huh. man, that makes me want to get out of this, Marin, and get into the episode. <laughs> yeah, let's let's take off, like Mr. Rogers takes off the, uh, the walking around cardigan and puts on the at-home cardigan. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Let's do that for this episode, Star Trek Picard. Yeah. I love that that guy has going out shoes and staying home shoes. That's aspirational. Damn, Daniel. You know the soles of the, his inside shoes are super clean, right? Yeah. You're not running into the, the tracking crud into your house problem. Because it's, it's like a pretty uniquely American phenomenon to wear shoes inside the house, right? Like most other cultures, 
declined to bring bring the outdoors in in that particular way. Most cultures that aren't American know what is gross, and ours just does not. <laughs> yeah. You know? But, like, Mr. Rogers knew what was gross and, and found a way around the I want to wear shoes even though I'm indoors thing that all Americans are endowed with. Yeah. Not all yeah. Americans. A lot of Americans. <laughs> the arc of a dirty house always bends towards clean eventually, right? <laughs> I guess so. In these United States. And the arc of a Star Trek fight always bends towards Six Bay. It's true, Ben. Let's get into the episode of the moment. It's Star Trek Picard, season three, the final season, episode three, 17 seconds. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. And it looks like the, the Shrike is now in the nebular clouds during the logo sequence. Was that always there? Or did I just pick that up? I uh, wondered that too. This was the first time I spotted it in there. The koala not in the clouds. The koala only in the clouds for lower decks, right? Get the koala into those clouds. Come on. That koala is canonical. That's what I'm saying. It's a canonical koala. Why is he smiling? What is he now? I'm orthodox koala. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I, I believe I'm uh, I'm reformed koala, but uh, I believe as well. Yeah. You can't take my belief away from me just because I've uh, somewhat modernized my system of tribute to the koala. Precisely. So we start in media dogfight, and they can't warp out from inside this nebula. The nebula makes it impossible to make a warp field. It is a very beautiful nebular dogfight. Yeah, and um, Shaw realizes that they've got a sensors issue because of this nebula. So he orders people to look out the back window. And I really thought that that was metaphorical. Like the way he says it sounds like a, well, Jesus, why don't we just have somebody look out the fucking back right. window then? <laughs> we'll put a pin in that for later. <laughs> yeah, it's great. We get captain's sequences in contrast here, right? Because we've got Shaw yelling his head off on the bridge yeah. about things that may or may not make sense. But Vatic, when she orders her crew around, she gets very, very quiet. Yeah. Like a parent who is so angry at you, Benjamin. <laughs> Benjamin, I cannot believe you broke your tennis racket again. Yeah. And I have to buy you another one. Very triggering, remembering my <laughs> mom drawing on her cigarillo and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then ordering me to attack the, the, the spinny recliner in the living room that, that she'd always sit on. Yeah, right in the center of the room. Her fire, we've talked about this before. I think Chicote's got the best fire in the business. Mm. Fire! Yeah. A very powerful fire for Vatic. So smooth. Yeah. Almost a whisper. Right. It's great. Fire. The fire of a lady who's really softened up her larynx with a lot of smoke over the years. It's true. Uh, she wants to peck and peck. She said this. She's, she said this specifically and categorically. And this is the kind of Soto Voce conversation that Picard and Riker are having on the bridge. Like, she wants to peck. She she said she was going to peck. She's going to peck. Look at her. She's doing the pecking. <laughs> she said she's going to peck. She pecked. 
She took the shrike, she pecked, and then she pecked again. (laughs) (laughs) We get some very familiar Wrath of Khan style music during this chase scene too, right? Yeah. As the camera's floating around the nebula and and we fly past the Titan. Yeah. Can't help but think of it. Can't help it. And, uh... A sort of consensus builds among the triumvirate of captains on this bridge that the best choice at this point is we got to hide. We got to use this nebula to to wait her out because we can't just sit around and get pecked, you know? Speaking of pins to stick in places, this mm. is a great moment to stick another pin because what have we got here? Three captains in agreement about the strategic deficiency that the Titan presents in this nebular. Like, never going to be able to go toe-to-toe with the Shrike. Titan's overmatched in every way. And the only thing they can do is run and hide. This is the pin I'm sticking right here. Yeah, we're starting to have like an entomologist's collection of butterfly box here. (laughs) They're just sticking pins. After the show title, uh, we go back to before. We don't know exactly what year this is, but we witness some Benjamin Button-style de-aging of both Picard and Riker here at the 10 forward bar. I mean, if Benjamin Button was just combing some Grecian formula into (laughs) Riker's temples. (laughs) I mean, I felt like there was some pretty pronounced digital de-aging going on in the face here on the screener, and I wonder to what extent it will improve once it goes to network, as it were. Right. Did they have to do this to these faces in this scene? Because it's so dark anyway. Right, right. It didn't bother me as much as it seems like it bothers you, but... I think my main problem with it is that Frakes' performance in this moment is so good and strong. Yeah. And I couldn't help but be distracted by Glossy Face. Right, right. He is talking about the titular 17 seconds, the longest turbo lift ride of his life when he was up on the bridge doing some Titan shit and got called down to Six Bay where his Imzadi was in the process of delivering their kid. What was he doing on the bridge? (laughs) If I'm Picard, I'm like, oh, what were you doing there? Yeah. Sounds important. He had a cigar ready. He, you know, he's that kind of dad, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> sitting out in the waiting room. Yeah. You know, one thing that w- when, when Darone was being borned, I was like, I, is there a waiting room? Like if I was that type of dad, like, is there a place that I would be sitting? Are there dads here today like that? Like the room in some airports where you can smoke? Right. Like uh, yeah. the cigar room. I walked around and looked for it. I don't think that they have that anymore. I think that that entire room has been done away with. If it existed, you should have been introduced to it. Like, you shouldn't have had to find it yourself. Right, like somebody should have said. I mean, I didn't really leave the delivery room, like, after we got there. I guess I went down and got something to eat at one point, but yeah. Mm -hmm. We went out for drinks. (laughs) (laughs) And then you got called back. Yeah, I was fucking hammered. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that definitely like bumped me as well and the 17 seconds of the title is is not just what happens when you add seven and nine (laughs) right because that would be 16 yeah that would be 16 seconds (laughs) (laughs) no but i guess if you if you add one to that then you get there yeah now it works and the one is is the new baby Uh who's doomed ultimately (laughs) 
the fattiest. <laughs> and to parenthood. Anyways, uh, yeah, he goes down there when it's touch and go during the delivery. Fortunately, mother and baby come out all right. But mother is very salty now because Riker is sitting in a bar on Earth getting schwasty with Picard and not there helping her. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll be right there. Bring the whiskey. If you thought new Star Trek was going to do right by Deanna Troy... This scene is here to disabuse you of that when Troy is brought in to throw a bunch of cold water on just boys just trying to have fun. Yeah. Just, bo- just boys being boys. Yeah. It's like, do they have to render her like sitting inside a potted plant in the, in the hollow image that pops up? You got to believe that there's a deal between Riker and Troy where like you, you're not allowed to enter my mind empathically (laughs) in order to get one over on me in the parenting or during an argument or whatever. Like she's got to be impossible to argue with, right? I was thinking you were saying that this is her playing a role to get him out of the hang with Picard. Like, so I'm going to go down there, like give me 30 minutes with the old man, but then call me and like really like play up being like a shrew. Cigars, are we? The thing about Picard is he starts telling the same stories over and over again. <laughs> it's impossible to leave. <laughs> Riker would burn the world to save his kid. That's a thing he says in this. I mean, I think a responsible parent should stop short of that. Yeah, that seems like a, a Pyrrhic victory, right? Like, then what? <laughs> you know what I like about Jonathan Frakes is performance as an actor generally and specifically here is i love how he uses his hands he uses his hands to demonstrate the size of a newborn baby yeah he's done it before like in star trek first contact he uses his hands a lot to uh show exasperation later on in this episode he does it with jack crusher right he seems very intentional with how he does that and this is one of those scenes that's an example of it because i think a lot of actors gesticulating like that call unwanted attention to their hands. It, yeah. it, it, it becomes awkward or like it seems like business for the sake of business. And he has a way of like actually adding to the emotional heft of what he's doing with his hands without being clunky or weird about it. They really are for emphasizing a point almost exclusively. He's yeah. really good at that. He's really good at that. So good at that that Picard is like, you know, toasting him and complimenting him. And he's like, Dude, you should have a baby. <laughs> and Ricard does not like, I'm 78 years old. What are you talking about, Will? <laughs> you want to know about my own 17 seconds? <laughs> That's about as long as I can stay hard. Picture me at 83 dropping my son off to preschool. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> We're both going to have to eat from a rubberized spoon at the same time. (laughs) Two airplanes landing into different hangars. (laughs) I am too old for your bullshit. Young minds, fresh ideas. We don't. Hey, remember that pin I put before? Yeah. Back in the present. There really are people looking out the back window of the Titan. Yeah. One of them is the dude from the beginning who was kind of giving a cross look to Picard and Riker as they walk through the Titan for the first time. Yeah. That guy, what's that, what is that, that dude's attitude about? 
smirky guy. Yeah. 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 The nebular seems dangerous and also alive in a moment of dialogue that is totally sped by, right? <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is this? Star Trek Voyager? Electrical and biological signatures. <laughs> Sounds great. Anyone else want to throw more weird shit at me? There's a moment here where everyone kind of catches their breath and Shaw uses this as an opportunity to do a shift change. I thought this was interesting. Like, so often in Star Trek, we get long, long, long periods of people staying at their stations for what seemed like days at a time. Right. And Shaw looks at his watch and he's like, all right, well, you guys have been working a double. Uh, you better go back and, and hit the sack Yeah. while we have some relative <laughs> calm here. I like this moment of, of like just starship business. Yeah. Is Shaw the best captain in Starfleet? God, I don't know. Seems like he, he's actually thinking about the well-being of his crew in a way that's really nice. Yeah, I like it. Good change for him. <laughs> Seven gets a visit from Crash LaForge, who, you know, wants to basically express like, hey, I know you got in a huge amount of trouble for what you did in the last episode, but I really respect it. What's wild about this scene is uh, for some reason, Seven's door opens bottom to top like a like a garage door and LaForge like rolls under it and inside to talk to her yeah and then just strikes like kind of an amazing pose when she yeah. comes to a, a stop yeah one of the few ways my dad and I are like LaForge is there to share some kindness and some encouragement there she doesn't have to do this yeah. she's on break she should be sleeping yeah I mean she's clearly super exhausted if this is what she's doing with her time she's not thinking straight she barely has the energy to crash into anything at this point. Yeah. Much less a cot. Yeah. Meanwhile, down in Six Bay, Beverly is doctoring sort of without a license. <laughs> like, a, <laughs> I don't know what, what the status is of her medical credential, but it doesn't seem like the Trill chief medical officer of the Titan would like any help from... <laughs> legendary Starfleet doctor Beverly Crusher. I mean, that's an interesting description. How legendary is she if she was off the map for 20 years? Like, she doesn't have the reputation that precedes her into the Six Bay the way uh, Riker and Picard had at that dinner scene, right? Yeah, I guess not. She's no Pulaski. Yeah. We get a confrontation in Six Bay between Picard and Crusher. And this is... A really big, really heavy, intense scene. I love the way this is blocked because Picard and Beverly, after Jack and Riker fuck off, start on opposite sides of the room and they have many beds between them. And there's that long beat of silence before either of them starts talking. And I love the space that the scene is given to be quiet in a quiet spot. Because as soon as we begin to hear how things went down on Casperia Prime. A perfect day on borrowed time. The vacation capital of the Horvian cluster, Ben. <laughs> as you know, where Dax wanted to take Worf on their honeymoon. Yeah, no, I never stopped thinking about it. I mean, what I disagree with utterly is the idea that they may have fucked under a waterfall. That just seems <laughs> uncomfortable mm. and not as frictionless as you would hope. Right, right. And it's like kind of a classic mistake because it seems romantic, but you can get pregnant in a waterfall. <laughs> Even pre-waterfall. <laughs> so they go back and forth in this scene about their perspective of that moment and the moments after. 
Picard not knowing that it would be the last time that they were together, Beverly seeming very sure that it would be, you know, before, during, and after that moment. And, you know, as the conversation continues, they move one bed length closer. And when they begin to talk about Jack, it's really about Beverly's maternal instinct for protection about him. She's lived an entire career side by side with Jean-Luc Picard and seeing what kind of danger you're in when you're him and her not wanting, you know, another son to be in that kind of dangerous proximity. Like, we don't know in what kind of danger Wesley, the boy, boy. is in. Young Wesley Crusher. My son. As a traveler of space and time. I can assume that there have got to be dangers to that bit of business, right? Hey, dangers! (laughs) You scare me! (laughs) Can somebody Photoshop Wesley Crusher into the back of the bus from The Simpsons? (laughs) I'm in danger! This is something that Picard takes great umbrage with because the choice was taken away from Picard. This was Beverly making a decision for him. Yeah, but she didn't, like, I really like this scene because, like, going into it, it's like, yeah, what the fuck was Beverly doing? But I really see it from her perspective. Like, the every time it seemed like there might be a chance for her to talk to him, something totally off the wall happened with a, you know, attempted assassination of the Romulan Praetor or similar. Yeah. And, like, the ability to get his attention was just impossible that and and she was already kind of out the door before she found out she was pregnant in the first place and just kind of gave up on him in a way that tracked for me like in a way that i think was hard to achieve in this scene yeah but they did it in my in my estimation we break up the scene with a moment between riker and jack crusher outside And Riker is just generally amused by Jack in in general. Like, this is a feeling that Riker's had for the entire season so far. Yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, I've known you since you were something Picard should have done a long time ago. How does Jack know that his father's a golem? How does everyone know that? (laughs) Did they have to do some kind of, like, special legal loophole to allow a synthetic into the Federation again? If your dad is a golem, like there's no DNA test that that works <laughs> under those circumstances, right? Like yeah. the Mari Povich moment is not the father. He's out of business in, yeah. the, <laughs> in this utopian future. <laughs> I mean, and they're just out on a corridor and a bunch of people are are kind of smirking and giving Jack the, the stink eye as they walk by because, you know, to them, they're in this awful predicament because of him. And Riker counsels Jack in this moment and is like, look, this could be your moment to turn this bad boy image around and become an inspirational figure like your dad. Right. And Jack kind of talks past this. He's like, you know, I've heard stories about my dad that that my mom would tell, and they always made her sad. And that makes Riker sad because... When he tells Jack that he has a wife and a daughter and he had a son, oof. Yeah. It's a tough moment. It really is. I love, there's one line of dialogue that's my favorite part of maybe the whole episode. If you go family, Riker, <laughs> feel free to call me Captain. 
It's so subtly withering. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Hey, uh, show some respect, little Sonny. Yeah. We cut back to the conversation between Beverly and Picard, and she's describing sort of what life has been like for them in the last couple of decades, you know, going around helping backwaters, like trying to trying to find a way to, you know, live a, a life that leaves the galaxy a better place than they found it. And then suddenly, somehow, like everyone is after them, the budget of bad guys that want them dead or want to abduct Jack is through the roof. And like all she can think of is that this has something to do with who Jack's father is because these are Picard-level bad guys, not Jack-level bad guys. It's either that or like anytime you work for the Mariposa Medical Aid Company, Mm -hmm. the chances of you dying in a bar fight or equivalent are so high. (laughs) Right. That's what you sign up for. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, like firefighters like live on average less because they inhale so much smoke over the course of their careers. Mariposans, uh, similar, you know, like your odds of dying in a bar fight just are irreparably (laughs) increased the second you sign on. Most medical aid in the galaxy is delivered to bars. It's where people gather. (laughs) That's just how the future works, man. Yeah. What about that accent, Ben? We got to answer for that, right? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's in his DNA. The final moment of the Beverly and Picard interaction here, in the order of the conversation, might suggest like kind of a throwaway part of it. Yeah. I think it's maybe the biggest part of all. It's that Jack was given Picard's number, but Jack never called it. Yeah. It's been a choice of Jack's never to reach out for him. And I think this is the inflection point for Picard this season. This moment, everything changes about him for reasons that we'll see later on in the ep. And this is where I'm dropping my second pin. Because when Picard hooks back up with Riker in the corridor after this, he just like looks at Jack and walks past him. And Riker's like... What happened in there? Picard's like, I don't want to talk about it. I want to concentrate on safeguarding the ship and the crew. That is what's important to me. All of my family drama is not even on my radar at this moment. And Riker is like, you got to trust me on this as as the father of a dead son. The odds of you also having one of those on this mission is increasing by the moment. You might want to take advantage of these moments when you have them, and he's not trying to hear that. He is all about the ship and the crew at this point. This is a a tear that can't be put back. Yeah. Picard does not feel that his situation with Jack is even worth trying to fix. Yeah. Here comes the strike, and uh, the one person looking out the window picks her up. Uh, That other guy is fucked off. Yeah. Where'd that guy go? Yeah, we'll find out a little later. Yeah. You try to put a pin in that guy and he just slips right off of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like nailing jello to the wall. The strike fires on Titan and it's like shooting fish in a nebula, Ben. <laughs> this volley hits hard. This is like one of the great 
bridge under attack scenes in Star Trek. But instead of a girder falling down on the captain, the captain falls down on a girder, smacks his head on it. It looks like he's got, it looked to me like a compound fracture of his lower leg. It looked bad and there's blood all over this bridge. Yeah, it's really disgusting in there. (laughs) Like almost event horizon level blood and guts fest on the bridge. Yeah. And like the the timing couldn't be worse for just like an emotional closure standpoint for Picard because he was heading up to the bridge to apologize to Shaw for this whole misadventure. And now like Shaw is covered in dino damage and has to go down to six bay and basically tosses the keys of the Titan to Riker. He says, look at me, Riker, look at me. <laughs> You're the captain now. What am I, chopped liver? (laughs) You got to feel insulted if you're Picard here, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, like, is the fact that he's, like, retired? I mean, maybe it could be the XB shit that we got in the first episode. Like, there might just be something about Shaw hating Picard that is the reason for this. Yeah, I, I, I do, now that you mention it, remember Shaw muttering under his breath, I'm so fucking glad I relieved Seven of Nine of Command <laughs> right before all this happened. God, you're right. Because <laughs> it, it would have been her, right? Like if, It would have. I mean, Riker's a captain, but it would have uh, it would have fallen to her anyways. Yeah. Nifty bit of business here, like Riker and Picard sit down in their chairs they detonate a torpedo in front of the Shrike, and that kind of blows the Shrike back into the clouds. Yeah, and Picard is like, well, look at me. Look at me. I am number one. <laughs> a lot of one-liners in this episode. <laughs> there sure are. Kind of a jarring cutaway into the B story at this point, lest you forget the goings-on on Metallus Prime and the La Serena docked there. Raffi has woken up, and... Uh, She's woken up by the song that Picard was playing in the ready room during Star Trek First Contact. Mm-hmm. And what does that one sound like again? One, two, three, four! Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she thinks that this is Mise? Yeah. Most people think that. Get it. Common mistake. Yeah. It's nice when a Klingon introduces themselves because their formal name is also sort of their curriculum vitae. I am Worf, son of Moog. House of Martok, son of Sergei, house of Roshenko, bane to the Duras family, slayer of Gowron. Yeah, this is a real complication on the signing of forms, you've got to believe, Yeah, if you're yeah. Worf. I was shocked to discover that he had become the holder of the sacred chalice of Reeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what exactly went on there? Yeah, I mean, I know he dated... Troy for a little while in there. Oh, no, Ben. You're, you're <laughs> suggesting that there was a moment where there was some mother-daughter crossover? Maybe. maybe, Or maybe he just got the sacred chalice in the breakup? I don't know. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> she never came over to his apartment to get her stuff. <laughs> the sacred chalice of Reeks is an old clay pot with mold growing inside it. This is a reintroduction to Quippy Wharf. Yeah, it really is. Worf as funny Worf, yeah. as maybe not self-aware about how funny he is and weird he is. Yeah. I wondered if he's become like a Dahar master or something similar. Because he says that he's been sense. working on himself. Yeah. But I, I don't, it doesn't totally seem like working on himself in the Klingon way. Right. 
Raffi is a little slow on the uptake, but she has finally put it together that Worf has been her handler the whole time <laughs> and was the one to save her in that room full of heads getting chopped off yeah. in that meeting with the Ferengi. Worf talks to Raffi the way he used to talk to Alexander, right? Like Michael Dorn really nailed that paternalistic condescension that makes yeah. Worf Worf. That is such a great call. You blew my cover. You had already accomplished that. He put that right back on. <laughs> he totally did. Yeah, he's convinced that there's something bad brewing. And she's like, I don't know if you have been watching the news, but it already happened. And he's like, no, 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 no. Something way worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Try to imagine something worse than that. Yeah. But she's feeling like shit, you know, like her family, her career, her sobriety have bas basically all gone out the window. And fortunately, Worf has a lead on the next step in this investigation. Somebody named Titus Ricca is, you know, the person that could tell them who stole the weapons. And that's uh, an exciting lead. I don't know where it came from, but they're going to go run it down. And she convinces Worf to let her tag along for it. Raffi, you and I will occupy the B story exclusively. <laughs> Many suspects will be maimed, but we will be victorious. Viewers will wonder if this is happening contemporaneously with the stuff in the nebula because it seems like it's taking place over a longer period of time. <laughs> For example, you seem to be going through recovery from withdrawals from drugs. <laughs> Which I thought took several weeks. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. I mean, maybe eye cocaine works different from heroin or whatever. Yeah. Back on the Titan, Picard begins to ride for going on the offensive. Yeah. To take on Vatic. And thus begins, I think a foundational problem that I had with this episode, which is the why of this reasoning. Picard and Riker are on, are on opposite sides of this thing. Riker, having sized up his ship and the Shrike, knows that they're no match for them. Does the episode want you to think that Picard was changed by that moment with Beverly from negotiation and wise strategy into poor strategy in trying to fight a ship that has you overmatched. Yeah, I mean, like he makes the case over and over again. It's it's really like like Riker is team flight, Picard is team fight, and he makes the case several different ways like the the nebula levels the playing field, like their sensors suck too. Are we missing dialogue about a surprise being sufficient to affect damage on the Shrike? Because just sneaking up behind them doesn't seem like it would do shit. And it also doesn't really seem like they can sneak up behind them because they don't know where they are. This moment and moments later felt transparently like a show trying to conjure a Crimson Tide moment out of its two greatest characters. And... It starts here, but because neither of them are making an effort to keep this between them and from the crew, and because Picard's reasoning does not seem grounded in anything we've seen or heard from him up until this point in this episode and up until this point in his career. I mean, once this moment comes to a climax, I, I just couldn't believe it. I think that 
the math that we are being asked to do is like reducing all of the fractions. They're fucked either way. And hiding is just going to like draw it out. So Picard is like, our one chance is to sucker punch them and get the fuck out of here. And in a way he's, he's right because the other option is to go the way of the Mariposa, right? Like to have all of their systems slowly just get mangled by the nebula and by the pecs of the Shrike until, you know, they have no hope. Like it doesn't seem like they can hide indefinitely because of how damaging the nebula is, like even if they weren't getting pecked. It seems like you and I in in our conversation are able to articulate both sides better than these two characters are. Yeah. And I wish that this was done better. Yeah, I was frustrated with, with it both times I watched this episode. This isn't the Enterprise. Yeah, like the deeper I think about it, the more I see like what they were going for here, but it didn't like completely connect for me in the actual episode. It's one of those things where like conflict sometimes doesn't need to be there in a show. There's so much between Picard and Crusher in this episode that I don't necessarily know that they needed to set up like major disagreements between other characters. Right. Even the thing going on between Beverly and the chief medical officer of the Titan, like it comes back in the next scene. Like we go back down to six bay and again, the CMO is like, Oh yeah, Shaw's fine. He's like, you know, he's doing okay. And, and Crusher's like, no, he's bleeding internally. You didn't, you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> He's bleeding internally, and also Captain Shaw is rocking massive nuck in this scene. <laughs> like, maybe best nuck in new Star Trek yeah. is what Shaw is rocking here. Has anybody explored the idea that he's not bleeding internally? It's just that too much of his blood has gone to <laughs> one particular part of his body? <laughs> really amazing. Like, in profile, they roll him over almost immediately because they're like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> this is too well lit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's really Liam Neesoning in this scene. Yeah. He's in a ton of pain, but uh, through that pain asks the key question, like what is the Shrike tracking? Because we keep getting hit. The Shrike seems to be able to figure out where we are in the nebula. So mm-hmm. there's a trail of breadcrumbs or blood or something that we're leaving that Vatic can track. And this is expressed to Jack Crusher. The answer's in your blood. <laughs> yeah. Who follows the trail of blood out the door and down the hallway. <laughs> Have you noticed that the entrance to Six Bay on the Titan is a ramp that goes down? No. When Riker and Jack entered Six Bay a couple scenes ago. Like, I noticed them walking down Dang. into that department. Yeah. And it's really smart if you're a room that can occasionally fill with body fluids. <laughs> you want to keep that pooled in one yeah. spot. It's not going to slosh out into the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They put those rubber mats down that you see in, like, commercial kitchens. The, <laughs> yeah. The holes in them. <laughs> so when Jack looks at the floor... It's a metaphor. Metaphor! And that kind of sends him on his way. He tries to head up to the bridge with this newfound information, but we're at red alert, and that means a security guy is standing at the 
turbo lift that would take you there. Yeah. And says, no, no. Which, now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't realize this during the episode, but wouldn't that turbo lift go other places too? Sure. <laughs> so you should have just been like, no, I'm going to the parking lot, mate. And like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good security being done here. Or sucker punched the guy and used his thumbprint to authorize it, you know? Yeah, this guy's not getting punched in the face. That other guy will be, though. Yeah. So uh, so he doesn't get to go up there. The Shrike is right behind them. They're, like, trying to leave the nebula now. They're right at the edge. They can see the stars. And when they try to uh, maneuver out of the clouds, the Shrike fires its special gun. And this is the quantum tunneling weapon that uh, we saw used in the terror attack earlier. Right. But in space, it kind of works like a portal gun. So the ship goes through a hole, a hole. and it finds itself back in the nebula, like going the opposite direction. It's a really neat visual. Like it, it made me think of cause and effect, right? Yeah. When Captain Fraser's ship comes through, when you see the Titan head on in that same way, it kind of cuts the same silhouette. Every time they think they've gotten out of the nebula, the Shrike pulls them back in. <laughs> <laughs> so Riker orders this move a couple of times until... He's finally proven that uh, this device is going to keep them where they are. Yeah. And Picard starts getting extremely lippy yeah. with Riker. Well, she's corralling us. Now is the time to fight. He's a real instigator, you know. Back on Metallus Prime, the B story continues with Raffi and Worf working together to apprehend Titus Ricca. And this guy can tell he's being followed almost immediately. The two least discreet detectives on Metallus Prime are <laughs> tracking him through the like never-ending disco dance party in the streets, and uh, the geometry of the scene was madness. Like, yeah, it was so stark. I think in part because of the brilliance of the depiction of the quantum portal gun nebula combat of the starships, like. You really know what's going on in those space fight scenes in this episode. Yeah. So when we're just cutting and the camera's like swishing around all the party people in the place to be and Titus Ricca trying to dodge and weave through them. It's like, I don't know where he is relative to Worf or Raffi or what they're looking at or who's in front of whom. It seems like a scenario that's a lot like back when crew people used to walk around corridors of the Enterprise D. Right. You only have so much run out before you need to switch the angle. Yeah, we have like 17 extras in, in space party clothes, and right. we need to make this look like it's a big crowded place. So what do you do? What I really liked about the climax of this moment is something that, like, I've heard The Rock is in Star Trek Voyager. We haven't gotten there yeah. on our mainline Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation, but mm -hmm. Worf takes Titus Ricca and rock bottoms him through this table. <laughs> and I wonder if that's an homage to The Rock. <laughs> you talk about Easter eggs in new Star Trek. Yeah. I yeah. think this is one of them. Well, much like The Rock appearing on Voyager was a cross-promotion of 
WWE coming to UPN or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. When America's SmackDown hero takes on Voyager's Battlestar Bane. <laughs> I'm sure that Paramount Plus is like getting a wrestling concession. Sure. On there. So, th- yeah, that's why they <laughs> chose to do this. We need to score a lot of laughs fast. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? 
Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? I like seeing Worf do this. Yeah. He's yeah. not slicing this guy's head off. No, that's Wednesday. Right. Also, it would make a totally different kind of mess than he would have predicted if he had cut this guy's head off and would not have resulted in his death, right? Right. So they've gotten their quarry and Jack is knocking on Seven of Nine's door to tell her his theory because he can't get up to the bridge to tell anybody not relieved of command his theory. He's like, I think it's weird, first of all, that your door opens from the bottom. <laughs> like, that's just kind of bizarre. <laughs> but also, uh, are you familiar with metaphor? Metaphor! Yeah. It's like, my initials are JC, so my door opens by rolling a stone aside. <laughs> <laughs> Seven picks up on this right away. She's like, well, if the Shrike is finding us so easily, we got to be leaking something. That is more easy to find than our ship. Yeah. Something that's leading this thing straight to us. Something that you could use something as low rent as a mass spectrometer to find us with. And they both settle on fruitarium. Yeah. Which everyone knows is the insulation to the warp coil. They've got that down in the warp core. So uh, always a good time to sucker punch a security guy and... Jack takes this opportunity and they head down there. Did you notice the security guy had Casey Neistat face? (laughs) (laughs) I did not. I looked at this guy and I was like, is that Casey Neistat? No, it's Dean Neistat. Whoa. His brother. Wow. That's a fun stunt cast. Who is like a stunt guy and an ex-military dude. And like, he's a guy. Yeah. Wow. I like those videos. (laughs) I think they're fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. They go down to the warp car and they just find that that place is full of wooden shoes. Hence the word sabotage. Yeah. They put on their Bane masks and they're like, this damage, (laughs) it's not accidental. It's sabotage. We will fix the materium gas and then you have my permission to go to warp. So, yeah, they report this up, and Picard is, like, bloodthirsty at this point. He's like, now we can set a trap. We have an advantage. Yeah. Riker is still, like, not down to make this into a dogfight, so he has to put his foot down. He's like, no. Sit down, Admiral. I'm the captain of this ship. During the rewatch, I scrutinized all the moments between Picard and Riker, and I was like, well... 
is one of them a changeling here? Because it started to get so far afield of the characters that we know and the priorities they would have in a moment like this that I was like, is there a, was there a chance of one of them being swapped out wow. ahead of this? And that being the reason, and Picard specifically, was, was Picard a changeling here? And I haven't watched ahead. I don't know if that's the truth. But that was how incredulous I was about the eventual climax to this argument that they're having. Because uh, we find out in the next scene that the saboteur is a gold, that one dude right. with the bad attitude comes and knocks out Jack Crusher. I was very disappointed in the scene because I'm like, I don't think that the golds are friends with the nubbin bugs. I'm I'm really starting to worry about my my fan theory for this season. Picard calls down to the room where Jack is in and he's like, Jack, how are you? I've decided I've wanted to talk. <laughs> and Riker looks at him and he's like, I'm sorry, Jean-Luc, your son is dead. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's got Robert Patrick face, right? Yeah, he kind of does. I kind of feel like that. Yeah. Wait, is it Robert Patrick? No. Well, no. So back on Metallus, Raffi and Worf are playing good warrior, bad warrior with <laughs> Titus, Ricca. He seems to be in withdrawal. Raffi is really like trying to get under his skin, really eager to start pulling out fingernails and... Worf is, uh, is not. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen how far a Klingon warrior can shove a sword up someone's I do not do that anymore. But they're trying to find out, like, you know, who did the, the heist at the Daystrom Institute, what's going on. And, and Titus Ricca doesn't really have a lot to say. He is in such bad shape that, uh, you know, he's not, he's not a very pliable interview subject. This is another scene that asks a lot of Michelle Hurd. And I think... Her being wrong in this scene kind of takes a really great and intense acting scene for her and kind of undercuts it a bit in a way that <laughs> I found unfortunate, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you have to show that conviction whether or not your character is right. So Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think that the scene, it's not great for the character, but I think she does a great job with it. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the engineering section... His Bane mask ripped off. Jack kind of comes to momentarily and he's like all woozy and he sees seven of nine. And she's saying something about connecting the branches. It was very hard to make out, but there's some sort of like veiny tree branch thing growing behind her and it's real blurry. She kind of reaches out to him. Yeah. He passes out. What did you make of this scene? It looks like there's an image of a doorway. Yeah. I don't know. I wish I could make out everything after we connected the branches. Yeah. I couldn't quite tell what what the other things were that she was saying. This is one of those moments where if I was watching this on the regular streaming internet, I would turn on subtitles. Right. And I couldn't because the screeners that we get don't have them. And, you know, 50-50 chance it would just say unintelligible after that. Yeah, but yeah. I wanted to know so bad what she was saying. Like, was it something about nubbin bugs? What was it? I don't know. I mean, Seven appears to be some sort of uh, like a holy figure in this scene, a savior figure. Yeah. Which is weird because her initials are not JC. No. 
No, they're not. Anyways. When Jack's brought to Six Bay, that this begins Picard's own 17-second turbo lift ride, right? Yeah. And he's heading down there, and uh, Jack is put on a bio bed, and the doctor says, I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. Now, how is that possible? <laughs> Serious question on this comedy show, Ben. Mm. Did you want Jack Crusher to die here? I really thought that that's where they were headed with it in a- I thought so too. Like, and in a way where I was like, does that smack too much of the thing that happened with the post Star Trek 2009 films where it felt like they were so fixated on just warming over ideas from the old films that they forgot to come up with any interesting new ideas along the way. Right. And like the Picard finding out he had a 20 something year old son who then dies really senselessly would feel so Star Trek three that. Yeah. But where I was, was like, is this reheating season two where it's like at the very end, he gets a second chance to have a relationship with someone who becomes family. Like, right. Does Jack become the Laris of season three? <laughs> like where he's making things right. Quick, get a golem. <laughs> <laughs> Surely you have an emergency medical golem in six bed. Nobody I like is allowed to die. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a lot of shocks. You're right. Because like the reason I asked the question is because you're really made to confront that yeah. in this moment. Because it seems like for a while he's not coming back. But then he does. And, you know, the, the Baywatch lifeguards earn their week's pay once again. Yeah. We're back in the La Serena right after this. Yeah. Where Titus Ricca has told Rafi and Worf that the terrorist attack, where they carved a hole around the recruiting station and then dropped it through the floor and then out the ceiling <laughs> under the ground again, <laughs> that whole thing, yeah. as spectacular as that was, was meant to be the jangly keys to get the Federation's attention away from some other thing that they stole from Daystrom. That was a little terroristic ledger demand, and yeah. they got something way worse. So the implications of this are sort of washing over Raffi and Worf as they're realizing that he's not withdrawing from eye cocaine, he's withdrawing from Great Link. Yeah. And he goes gold. Ah! Isn't the way he goes gold great? He's a changeling. Yeah, yeah. It's gotten... So gross. Do let it get away. Yeah. Since the technology of the DS9 era. Now, Mr. Bunker. You know they have Cronenberg as an advisor for a scene like this, and Cronenberg's <laughs> like, no, grosser. Grosser. More body horror. Yeah. Yeah. Like dial it up. <laughs> yeah. Like you cast him in Discovery to use his knowledge right. for Picard. It really there's something fecal about the texture of what happens to, to Ricca. Yeah. They execute him much like Beverly executes the mask guy yeah. in the first episode. It's true. Worf starts talking about, oh yeah, like there was this situation that happened with the changelings after the Dominion War. Some would call it a schism. I got a buddy inside the link that told me about this. I'm not going to say his name. That would be disrespectful. Right. Man of honor. But 
basically there are gold edition Mayquis. Mayquis? And uh, they seem to be behind this whole thing. It would be a major problem if they were everywhere. Right. So time to head to Daystrom and find out what else got stolen. But before that, we don't go back to Daystrom this episode. I don't know if that happens down the line, but we're back on Titan. We're Picard again will not shut up about getting into a firefight with the Shrike. Yeah. We're out of options, Captain. We fight or we die. There is no new evidence here. It's all the smoke of a Crimson Tide argument, but there's no, there's no fire. There's no foundation to it because we're not thinking about how right or wrong these two characters are. I'm thinking personally about why in the F Picard is acting like this. I'm like trying to do the math of whether he's a changeling or whether... <laughs> that interaction with Beverly and the reasons his son doesn't want to be with him have suddenly made him bloodthirsty. Right. Or maybe his golem is just on the fritz or whatever. But like, you know, by the end of this episode, they never get Vatic on screen. They don't attempt to talk to her anymore. This is Picard going full, ready to shoot and not even ask any questions later. Yeah. And, uh... The whole ship is basically full of wooden shoes at this point. Right. The tactical advantage of knowing about this gas that's been leaking goes out the window when the local gold sets an explosion off that kills their warp power. Yeah. And it sort of forces Riker's hand. Like, at this point, Riker can't even make a case for not fighting. With escape not on the table anymore, yeah. Yeah, so they let a full spread of torpedoes go and... The Shrike opens a hole and dumps those torpedoes right on the ass of the Titan. And it is a massive self-own. Like, you can see Picard is humiliated, even. It's a moment from Miriam submarine films. You see the bad guy shoot a torpedo and it circles around and hits themselves. It's kind of unusual to have that. And it happens in Khan. But yeah, it does. It's weird to see it happen to the good guys, you know? It's so satisfying when it happens to the bad guys. And it's so devastating when it happens to the goods. Yeah. They shot themselves right in the ass. Yeah. Ben. And and the Titan is totally crippled. It's doing that end over end yeah. flip in space that is really gross for a Star Trek viewer. You don't like to see that. And they've talked about there. there's this gravity well inside the nebula that might be alive that they're getting sucked down towards. So it's just like the cell phone to gravity well. And Riker turns around and kicks Picard off his own show. Remove yourself from the bridge. You've just killed us all. My favorite part of this moment is the direction because... When Riker delivers this dialogue to Picard, we're in like the dirty single, right? We're seeing the back of Riker's head and we're seeing Picard. We never see Riker deliver this line. Yeah. And you think about all the moments where Riker has gotten the hero moment of a line delivery like that and you see his face. And I love the choice that he makes in not showing his own face here and only showing the reaction of Picard's. I thought that was really well done. It's a good choice. Even though I hate everything that led up to that moment. Yeah. And and I'm in disbelief about it. That was really nicely done. I mean, I think, like, the more I've thought about it, the more I feel that that moment actually does have justification, but maybe just wasn't, like, well elucidated in the script. 
But I agree. That's that is a fucking gut punch that this episode ends on, and it makes me wonder if you liked this episode. As down as I was on on one specific moment, I mean, there is a lot to like. Like Worf's introduction to the series is an almost perfect expression of his character. Like to varying degrees when we've met old characters on new Star Trek, you know, <laughs> strikes and gutters. Like it gets close, it's spot on, sometimes it's a miss. But like this is Worf. This is unmistakably Worf and written exactly like him. I think I think that part of the episode is great. Like the dorky dadness <laughs> of him. I love that that hasn't aged away. Yeah. And Michael Dorn's body just looks incredible in the light. Like, I feel like we've never yeah. seen him in like as skin tight a thing as he's wearing in this, but he just looks good. He looks good. He's a vegan. Like, he keeps it fucking tight. Yeah. I think this episode is weighed down by a couple of things. I think the first one is is the disparity between A and B story and the stakes. Like, I never wanted to leave the Titan. And every time we did... I felt yeah. pulled away from it. And it's not Worf and Raffi's fault. It's just that I wish I wish they got their own episode after this one where we would were following them around. Tonally, it felt like a, a really big leap. The Picard and, and Riker argument this episode is going to be something that is really hard for me to understand. And I'm going to leave open the possibility of the reasons for it being further articulated in future episodes. Maybe there is something going on here that I can't understand and they chose not to elucidate. Um, But as it is, as an episode, only knowing what we know, I didn't believe it because the episode didn't give me enough information to believe it. And it took me out of what should be a total Gene Hackman, Denzel Washington moment. Like, what could have been a a great moment in all of Star Trek ended up being weak to me. So that's where I'm at with it. I think part of that is that we haven't seen these two characters get in a fight on that scale. Like we've seen like Worf and Picard be this mad at each other before. Sure. And And crucially, that was the only other moment I can think of where Picard was insane right. with vengeance. And was not making decisions clearly. But this isn't that. It isn't. And I agree that there's going to need to be more on this. The more I've thought about it, the less I feel like it isn't, like the case isn't made for it mostly in this episode. And it did bother me. Like it felt a little bit repetitive. Like they kind of rule of threes, the fight or flight argument in a way that I don't think quite felt necessary but the stuff between Raffi and Worf and you know good warrior bad warrior was so much fun to me that like Mm -hmm. entire scene between Picard and Beverly was so fucking great that I feel like the the things that I don't like about this episode feel kind of minor by comparison so yeah like I it definitely smacked more of the first two seasons than anything we've seen so far in ways that I think are to its detriment. But overall, I thought it was 
Like, yeah. I think this would have been like one of the stronger episodes of a season one or two. Absolutely. You're right about the Picard and Beverly scene. I think that represents maybe the best of what Picard yeah. in new Star Trek can do. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm still with this season, but, um, but yeah, I think it's a very uneven episode by any measure. Yeah, I am too. Like, I, I think it's time to use some corrective lenses on, you know, everyone's really excited to fucking lick this show's popsicle yeah. for how great it is <laughs> in comparison to the first two seasons. But this was a real, like, hold your horses type of episode to me. Yeah. For all of its goodness, uh, that central problem, I think, has kind of reminded me that that new Star Trek can be a rocky road. Before we move on, Adam, I uh, am starting to worry that my nub and bug theory is going to have to uh, fall by the wayside. So I have a new fan theory that I just want to like put another pin in to complete our uh, entomologist collection for this episode. Does this qualify as a bet? This is a real long shot, so I'm I'm not like I, okay. You know, I want like I want like twenty to one odds on this. But if I get it right, I want this thing to fucking pay. If John Mellencamp ever wins an Oscar, I am going to be a very rich dude. I was looking at the Shrike. Get a lot of uh, a lot of beauty shots of the Shrike in this episode. Yeah, that deflector, that section down at the bottom, is shaped just like the D. Yeah, the D deflector, like the that part of the star drive there. Is is very very similar to the Shrike. Is the Shrike built out of old D parts? I mean, the star drive section was destroyed, right, by the Dura sisters, and the saucer was the only thing that survived, right? Yeah, but it crashed. Didn't really survive. But there were also other galaxy class ships. Like it could be sure. It could be made out of a different galaxy class. I guess. I mean, and and the star drive section doesn't get atomized when. <laughs> Right. It blows up. Like, there's probably parts. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that's my extremely long shot fan theory. <laughs> I do like the idea that Vadic and crew are somehow, you know, in the dustbin of a mission history of the D. Yeah. And that their revenge is predicated on on some slight that Picard and Riker may or may not have done. But if if <laughs> what Beverly tells... Jean-Luc in that scene is that this is less about Jack and more about Jean-Luc. So right. her gripe has got to be about father and not son. And that's really why I thought Jack would possibly be killed this episode is right. like it would center the story back on Jean-Luc. Yeah. Well, uh, do you want to center our podcast on our listeners for a moment? Oh, yeah. I'm going to go check our priority one messages, Ben. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from longtime listener, first time P1er, and it's to Ben and Adam. Message goes like this. It sounds on Greatest Gen, which I know is not this show, like you're dreading the game of buttholes, so I wanted to suggest you could Marie Kondo it. <laughs> Regular eps are still good pod. If that's too serious, maybe skip that paragraph. You may want to use a time crystal for that. And just play the Roe and Harry Kim drops. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. I got the 
Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. Chummy. Chummy. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. What do you think would happen if they met? Well. Well, longtime listener, first time P1er. Roe did kind of already meet Harry Kim when both she and Jordy were uh, invisible together. Jordy, really the Harry Kim of Star Trek The Next Generation, wouldn't you agree? Hmm. Uh, you mean like the stick man on the DL? <laughs> right. Yeah. Total bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. Man, I think that Roe might be the first woman to really be Harry Kim's match. Right. If they ever met. Longtime listener, first time P1er uh, referencing to the gamification of our hit Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. Yeah. I think the dread is part of the point, you know? That's a show where, where occasionally we'll, uh, we'll drink something during or we'll do it in a different way or whatever. I'm not dreading the game of buttholes. Yeah. There's squares that we dread, but that's like the, the idea sure. is that there's like a risk element. I only dread a bath I'm forced to take. <laughs> Do you like a bath that you're not forced to take, or are you just an anti-bath overall? I'm not an anti-bath. I like a bath. Okay. I just want to do it on my terms. Maybe we get it to line up one time where you're like, man, I could really use a bath, and then the yeah. dice hits, you know? Yeah, like after camping. <laughs> That's if you want a bath. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the problem is you're not doing enough camping. Uh, I think I'm doing enough camping, which is none. (laughs) Our next priority one message is from your wife, and it is to Stonewall Ironcock slash HWIMH. Goes like this. Happy 27th year together. The girl and I are lucky to have you. And thanks for introducing me to this crazy pod and show. Looking forward to at least another three cubed years. Everyone knows H-W-I-M-H is he who is my husband. Yeah. Pretty nice message there from your wife. How much is three cubed? Oh, that's 27. Mm-hmm. At least another. Okay, so they they could have a really good run in there. 27. It's a lot of years. Way to make it. Yeah. I, I believe in your wife and Stonewall Ironcock. Hopefully you're getting along better than Riker and Troy at this point. <laughs> Yikes. Sorry we missed your uh, your delivery window on this by a few weeks. Hey, that's actually a good opportunity to talk about the fact that the, uh, the P1s on Greatest Trek are filling up. So if you'd like to get one and target it for a particular day i would jump on that asap yeah personal messages are uh, are super appreciated but also a lot of businesses getting that greatest gen greatest trek bump yeah you can get that by going to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron hey ben what's that adam did you discover yourself in edward larkin edward larkin hmm I'm going to give it to Titus Ricca. Okay. The reason I'm going to give it to Titus Ricca is that golds are so good at blending into crowds because the second you lose sight of them, they can look like somebody else. Oh, you're right. This guy sucks. Why didn't he change? Worf got the drop on Titus Ricca. Okay. 
Worf has never gotten the drop on anyone. That's true. All, all Titus had to do was go behind a door. Yeah. Like, the only person that Worf ever got the drop on was that guy that, like, ran into the room and Worf did that, like, open palm to the nose move on him. Yeah. Brained him with his own nose. But that guy just basically, like, ran right into Worf's hand, you know? Yeah. I think my Edward Larkin's going to be Worf. Worf actual. <laughs> just for his personality. Yeah. There's no one like him. <laughs> there really isn't. He he talks about himself as a subcontractor. Yeah. Still maybe a little unclear where his allegiances lie. I think we're going to find out more about that down the road, right? If this war starts to heat up. Yeah. Maybe we'll find out. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, yeah, I wonder who the contractor is. <laughs> Who's the general on this job? <laughs> Great call. I don't know. <laughs> I think you got to believe that if you're running a security operation, Worf's going to be a liability. Maybe right. you don't want him on your most important case, right? <laughs> when we were in San Francisco for Sketchfest, I kept walking past this building that had like a row of cones out in front of it that all had signs that said no subcontractor parking on them. Yeah. I remember that. And I, I kept wondering, like, so can anybody else park? Th- as long as you're not, like, an electrician that's working for a general. Why are you trying to make it harder on the contractors and subcontractors? They got they got to haul some shit back and forth. What is going on with this fucking building? That's my big question. Yeah. Get it together, that one building in San Francisco. <laughs> All right, Ben. Finally, it's time for the hit segment. We do at the end of every Greatest Trek episode. You know the one I'm talking about? Oh, would that be the Warning Boys segment? That's right. It's important enough that we read a message from a friend of DeSoto that has caught our eye on the socials media. This message can constitute either uh, a welcome mat to a new possible viewer or a warning (laughs) telling them that uh, this show isn't for you. Yeah. Let's find a message that articulates that point. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Ben, we got a message here on Twitter from at Nick Dingman. <laughs> message goes like this. Getting a text from at Hesford asking how to get tax documents is a lot funnier to me than him. Because I listen to Greatest Trek. <laughs> that is a perfect warning, boy. Like, if you want to know more, you can listen to Greatest Trek. But if you don't want to know more, you know what not to listen to. <laughs> right. Made a lot of hay out of the tax documents over the years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on Greatest Gen. Somebody even sent in some tax documents that one time. I know. We got to come up with tax documents merch. I think that'd be perfect. Yeah. Maybe this time... Mid-April, you'll see uh, oh. some, something at podshop.biz about tax documents. Great idea. Well, if you've got something to say about Greatest Gen or Greatest Trek, there's one way to make sure that we see it. Use the hashtag or add us or make sure uh, our social media manager, Bill Tilly, sees it. You can get your message read right here on the show. Yeah, we really appreciate folks that talk about the show out there in the world. It really helps get the word out. Adam, it's about time to wrap things up. We're going to throw the keys over to Wendy Pretty, our editor and producer. We have not been able to put 
descriptions of next week's episode in at the end of these shows because they are coming out on Friday now, which is before the embargo is lifted. Right. So uh, we're going to try to start having a little uh, post roll at the end of new episodes of Greatest Gen on Monday. So if you are curious about what happens on the next episode, make sure you listen all the way to the end of Greatest Gen as well. All right. Bye. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for riding with us on Greatest Trek. We'll see you next week. Greatest Trek is an Oxford Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We'll be back in your feed next Friday with a review of Season 3, Episode 4 of Star Trek Picard. And hey, Max Fun Drive is coming up in a few weeks. It's the one time a year where you hear the guys go into some detail about being part of a listener-supported network of podcasts. It's the best time to support the production of The Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek. And especially if you've never contributed before, you can be a part of helping Ben and Adam keep doing what they're doing. So start thinking about it now. We really appreciate all the members out there making the show possible. Thanks also to Adam Ragusea for creating the original music that we use on this show. You can find his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Ditmore for the show art and Bill Tilly for managing the social media pages on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you're following at Greatest Trek and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. We're also on YouTube now, so make sure you're subscribed over there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.